perhaps one of the trickiest things about managing projects is that we have to work with, well, people. And people are incredibly variable. We're inconsistent, we're egotistical, we're unreliable, and we're incredibly fickle. And I'm just talking about myself. So I wonder if your projects are anything like mine. When they go wrong, and of course, they always do at some point, it can quickly turn into a horrible finger-pointing exercise where everyone seems to be accusing everyone else of not doing their jobs properly. So how on earth can we manage a project when we've got all that to contend with? Well, today, you're going to find out. And thanks for tuning in. I'm Ben Aston, and this is the Digital Project Manager podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Clarison, the leader in enterprise project and portfolio management software. Visit clarison.com to learn more. Today, I'm joined by Suze Hayworth, one of our resident DPM experts at the Digital Project Manager. Suze, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Ben. Uh, thanks for having me here. So let me introduce Suze properly because she is new. This is, I think, our first ever podcast together. So, yeah. so, yeah, so, so Suze is a freelance digital project director in London, and she's got stacks of experience uh, being in the industry for over 13 years. Uh, starting in account management, similar to me, and uh, and then heading over to project management. Um, but rather than just reading off your bio, Suze, can you tell <laughs> us a bit about um, what kind of projects are you on are, are working on right now? Uh, right now, well, actually, uh, last year I just moved to freelance. So I've been working, like you said, for a number of years um, across various agencies. Um, but last year I went freelance. So at the moment I've got a position in an agency in London and I'm doing kind of two big projects, one being um, a design system uh, for a, quite a large retail brand and the other I'm managing a programme of work for another retail brand. So it's all quite interesting work. So is retail your thing? Um, oh. it, it's actually all over the place. I've got a lot, a lot of retail, uh, broadcaster, charity, um, all sorts. But yeah, there's quite a, quite a strong retail focus on the accounts and managing at the moment. So you could say that. Cool. And so, in in the in your kind of freelancer role, what do you find what do you find tough, or what are the, some of the kind of bigger challenges that you're you're dealing with right now? Um, I think probably the biggest challenge, and this is always the case with project managers, I think. Um, speaking from experience, is that you've just got so many different things to manage and to do and that you're responsible for. Um, so not only like you're trying to deliver a project successfully, but you're managing timings, budget, team outputs, the actual team members. So there's a lot of sort of team problems you have to manage too. And then also obviously the client um, contact. So it's just really hard to juggle a lot of things in the time you have. So often I feel like it's a constant battle to squeeze everything into one day, really. Yeah. And do you find, um, do you find that harder being a, because you've obviously been, yeah, a permanent and now you're kind of in this contractor role. Do you find it, do you find it different or how does that work out for you? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, it is a bit different in the sense that as a freelancer, you're kind of, um, more responsible for your own time in terms of your sort of charging yourself to the agency um so then you kind of you can get in the position where you feel like you can't say no to things so I think it's um, a thing that I've learned to do better is to you know if there's too much on your plate you can only do so much and you need to do it properly so it's best rather than just saying yes to doing everything is just to sort of have um your limits really where you can say no to doing everything yeah no I think you know I think when I was a contractor I found that to be true there's actually something uh really nice about being a contractor because you can yeah. because you can just because you're not trying to 
I mean, you're not really interested in the promotion. Um, I mean, you obviously want to retain your contract and keep working with them, but you're not trying to impress yeah. people in quite the same way that you are when you're a permanent member of staff and you're, you're like, oh, well, I better say yes or this is going to look bad. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, you still want to create a good impression, obviously. Uh, yeah. The industry's small, so uh, everyone knows everyone. But um, no, I think it's um, it's it's always good to have a bit more kind of, you can step back a bit at the end of the day and say, okay, my, my hours are done. Um, a little bit more, really, sometimes than being permanent. Yeah. And so in your, since you've been contracting, how many different places have you been working at? Um, only a couple so far, actually, So, because um, I haven't been doing it that long. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's been quite good in a sense, because I actually have built up a bit of time um, at this agency I'm at now. So I know people quite well, um, you know, know the clients better, because you're actually getting a bit more length of time on the projects um, and the accounts. And are you, are you working in-house or are you working remotely mainly? No, in-house. Um, I do actually, I really sell the benefits of remote work to everyone I speak to about it because I think it's really important and can actually be a lot more productive um, for a lot of people. But I find a lot of the agencies, um, specifically in London where I've worked um, quite a lot, um, they do do a lot of in-house work mainly. Yeah, interesting. So I know that you're as well as as well as freelancing and uh, and doing your contract work. You're also um, you write obviously written stuff for DPM. But I know you're also uh, going to be at the DPM summit later in the year. Can you tell us a bit a bit about that? Yes, I can. I'm really excited about that. Um, last year I spoke at the DPM summit. Um, in Las Vegas and this year I'm actually running a workshop so it's quite a interesting topic because as PMs we're all quite obsessed I think with methodologies um, especially agile methodologies so I'm talking going to do a a workshop about kind of blending approaches so specifically something I've been um, implementing on, on a program of work I'm working on now is the dual track approach so it's using um, some sort of aspects of agile but sort of merging them a little bit so I'm talking about that um Kanban lean and kind of how you can blend different approaches to your projects so not necessarily pure agile or a sort of single pure methodology but adapting adapting the um the existing methodologies yeah that's cool yeah and I think I think that's so important as well because I and it's one thing uh, Susan is actually one of our DPM experts, and she is making an appearance on our Mastering Digital Project Management course. And if you're not sure, I'm, yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> so it's actually coming up this Friday, so Susan's first appearance. But yeah. one of the things that we talk about on the course is um, yeah, not getting too hung up on the the name of the methodology or or what yeah, yeah exactly or what you're. I mean, it's all about ultimately delivering work and finding better ways to deliver work in a way that's works for the team that works for the project that works for the client and just being pragmatic about that rather than dogmatic about well this isn't scrum and you know we need to do this scrum well to be honest it doesn't really matter we just need to deliver the project exactly Um, yeah I mean that's what I've always found is we're so obsessed with the process and fitting to a certain process but it's actually you need to look at your project or the product you're making and think what will work for this um it's and it's so different between different projects um so adapt or blend yeah yeah totally and i think i think uh yes some people can be a bit 
disparaging of uh, of diluting the purity of of methodologies, yeah. but I've never found them to work. So, so. No, exactly. I know there's a lot of snobbery around hybrid approaches, um, but I'm quite open to using them. And I think in most cases, especially in the agency world, I think um, you have to actually use a merged process rather than something pure just because of the situations you're in. Yeah, definitely. So what, I mean, aside from working on uh, your conference talk, writing articles, working, <laughs> is there anything kind of that you kind of set yourself as, as goals for this year that you're trying to, that you're working at, that you're trying to get better at? Um, oh God, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> I think I'm so focused at the moment in the now, like what I'm doing in work and outside of work, it's kind of hard to sometimes think of the long-term future. Um, but yeah, I think um, what, one big thing that I was talking about earlier was that sort of learning to say no, and I'm trying to get a lot better at delegating and you know, actually letting go of responsibility a bit, which is something I've always kind of found to be a tricky one. As a PM, you can kind of become a bit of a control freak about things. So that's definitely a, a long-term aim for yeah, me. Think, yeah, delegating <laughs> delegating is tough. So I think especially when you're contracting and you're when you're when you're not yeah. really sure if the person that you're delegating to is going to a take you seriously because you're just a contractor, but um, yeah, but b you've got no history of working with them, so. You don't know if they can actually do mm. what you're trying to delegate some of the time. Exactly. Um, so let's yeah. talk about tools for a second, because obviously being exposed to being working at different places, you get exposure to different things. Have you found anything recently that's making your life awesome or that you're like, everyone should know about this? To be honest, um, as a freelancer and working in lots of different agencies over the years, even in permanent roles, you just get exposed to so many different tools um, and have to use whatever the company uses generally. So I would never say I found the ideal tool or perfect tool that does everything that I would like it to do or doesn't have its difficulties or issues that you have to wrangle. Um, so actually, I probably wouldn't say there's one ideal tool that I use um resourcing tools and uh things for timesheets and that I've used a huge range and like I yeah. said every single one I found some good things about it and some bad things yeah um what uh, the only tool if you can call it a tool um that I actually love is google spreadsheets and <laughs> that's because <laughs> you can use it for everything I think so uh or a lot have of you, different things so have you tried using monday.com no I haven't actually because um because if for someone who likes managing things by spreadsheets, I think Monday is an interesting. Such a geek. It, yeah. Well, I think the great thing about spreadsheets is that they're free, and yeah. uh, well, at least Google Sheets is, and uh, and they can be incredibly flexible. But I think Monday adds an additional layer of um, automation to things and power in terms of filtering and control. Oh, great. So you you should check it out maybe yeah. it'll, uh, it's like spreadsheets on steroids oh definitely have a look <laughs> sounds right on my street <laughs> <laughs> um cool well let's um go on to talk about your article and um it's it's a, a while ago since you wrote it but um yeah going back to that kind of where we started this how how is it that we manage the madness of people who often either seem to want to take over a project or either seem to take no responsibility whatsoever. And uh, Susan's article is all about uh, how we use a racy chart uh, to do that. So for those who haven't read the article yet, um, tell us about racy charts. What, do, what, what does racy mean? 
So RACI uh, stands for Responsible, Accountable, Consulted and Informed. So it's basically quite simply a chart where you map tasks or deliverables for a project against those um, the stakeholders or internal team members of your project and you assign one of the four uh, letters I guess to uh, each role so um, and each task so it would be responsible somebody's responsible somebody's accountable somebody is consulted in the project and someone's informed so it's a great way of uh, assigning responsibility for each task or deliverable and making sure that too many people aren't involved in making every decision and that you have a clear sense of who will be working on what throughout the project. Cool. So I think one of the things that uh, that people typically, I mean, the, the most confusion around seems to be uh, not around who should be informed or who should be consulted. Uh, they, mm. Those tend to be quite straightforward. But it seems to be the, the confusion between what does responsibility mean or someone who's responsible yeah. mean versus someone who's accountable. So how do you how do you kind of work through that and uh, and how do you manage uh, people thinking they want to be responsible but not accountable? Like tell tell us how that works. Yeah, I think this is actually the trickiest area of the race and one I've actually struggled with a lot in the past myself and that's where a race has ended up becoming quite a beast to actually create because you're spending so long just trying to think what does that actually mean and what does that mean for the person who's going to be assigned that role? Um, but quite simply, if you think about responsible um, as a person who is actually doing the task, so creating um, a deliverable or um, managing it through, so it's the person who's actually doing, then the accountable is the person who is responsible for approving the task, um, sort of overseeing it, so not actually doing the task. The other struggle, I think, with responsible and accountable is that you can have the sort of tendency, if you've got obviously a project manager on your team or a product owner, you can often assign um, accountability to them because they're the one running the project in the central point. But actually thinking through, you've got to try and separate the project manager away from being accountable for everything and think who actually um, is more kind of senior within that task or deliverable so if it's design would it be a creative director um would it be a creative director your side or client side so it's kind of trying to not um lump the accountable role on the project manager or product owner all the time yeah i think i think that's key isn't it because i think the the mistake we can easily uh, fall into is making everyone responsible and everyone accountable not, not just even the project manager but it's like no, no, well, no. yeah, everyone everyone needs to be responsible for this. We need collective responsibility or we need collective yeah, that's accountability. It. Exactly. And it's really hard because you do feel like, oh, no, the team members will be doing that as well. So there'll be like five people doing that task. So they're all responsible for it. But you've really got to try and streamline a bit and narrow it down because if you're just spreading uh, roles across sort of everyone you're never going to achieve what the race is best at doing which is kind of clearly defining generally a single point or a few points um of contact or approval level or you know that's what that's what the race is for so yeah it's about using it right yeah i think i think what's really helpful i mean working out who's responsible who's actually doing the work that's normally not it's that's not normally the complicated thing uh but uh working out okay 
and this this tends to be a, a tricky aspect for me as well is the like the difference between consulted and informed because i think really what people are getting confused about generally is the difference between accountable and consulted and uh and like you said we really just want one person to be accountable one person to have the final say on whether or not this hits the mark or not it's kind of like a quality control thing whereas we can have yeah. we can have more people who are consulted and even more people who are informed they're just the ones who are copied in on you know hey by the way guys this is what we came up with but the consulted yeah. the consulted are the ones for me who can actually derail the project because they're, yes. they're the ones we're saying when when we're saying someone you know has to be consulted or should be consulted um they have a voice they have a say they're not necessarily accountable for delivering on time or the right thing but they certainly have a, a voice and so actually it's that i think the real the real tension is between that kind of accountable or consulted and, and that kind of the power play between people who are wanting to exert their position or their authority or their opinion but they're not actually ultimately accountable for making sure that it's delivered right or that it's delivered yeah. uh, properly. So, yeah, and actually that's, I mean, the other tension there is that um, obviously consulted will, like you said, will want to be, because you're sort of telling them they are consulted, they will almost have to have a voice. Um, so that's where the accountable role is really important, who you assign that to, because they need to own that deliverable or task and make sure that the consulted um, are feeding in, but not, like you say, derailing the whole project by producing like rails of feedback or whatever, the, whatever they're sort of consulting on there. Yeah. So be honest though in terms of, in terms of uh, a racing chart it's it i mean you, you you provided a great example of how lord of the rings could be a uh, <laughs> what it would look like if it was a racing chart but is is this a piece of documentation that you use for every project and how do you um you know how do you keep it lightweight so i mean it could if you go down to you know lots of levels of kind of granularity this could take ages to produce so how do you prevent this from just becoming another work breakdown structure with people's names next to it <laughs> yeah I mean something I'm really really keen on is not to create too much documentation just for the sake of it um so I don't want to put in place or suggest using documentation that actually won't have a use in the end but you really, if you are doing a race, you have to make it useful and actually use it. And that's really important. So you don't just create it at the beginning of a project and then let it die on the server somewhere. You actually really need to reference it, use it when you are sort of going through your deliverables. And then also at the end um, is in your review of the project, look at how you used it. Was it successful? What did, was it right? What you set out in the first place? So you have to actually use the document to make it useful. Um, so... And and, and yeah, how, I mean, how, yeah, how do you? So talk, talk me through then a, a scenario where you where you bring up the racy. Is it in a? Do you use it in your status meetings when you're saying, okay, so uh, in the in the kind of upcoming week we've got we're doing this this and this, and let's just refer to our racy chart. So this these people are accountable and these people are responsible, and we're going to consult and inform these people along the way. How do you how do you actually how do you play it out in a kind of week to week role? I think um, I don't necessarily use it within status. Um, obviously, it, it it tells you who you should be going to, who you should be involving in things, so who you should be sharing um, deliverables with. 
um, or who, who you should be assigning tasks to. Um, but I think it's more of an internal reference point for you just to check back on if you need to remind yourself of who's involved in this deliverable, who you should be sending it to for feedback and who should be informed of it once it's um, once it's delivered as well. So it's more just an internal reference tool, but obviously call out if things aren't going that way. And that's where you can really use it as well as if, say, you've assigned um, the consulted role, for example, to a task or deliverable and then suddenly everyone on the client side or stakeholders just want to get involved, then you can go to your direct client contact or whoever sort of you're dealing with most on the project and then actually talk to them and say, look, this is what we created together at the beginning. You know, we need to sort of follow it because this is aimed to create efficiency, you know, keep communication streamlined and not add loads of bloat and time to the project. Yeah. So, so, so I understand that. So you, the way that you run your races is, is, a combined racy that spans kind of agency and client or do you have kind of two separate ones yeah i i've used kind of different approaches before but one i think it really depends on the project um so if you've got sort of two huge teams your side and client side if you're working with clients then it could potentially um be better to create two what i've done more recently is i've actually created more of a client side one when they've got a lot of stakeholders involved because the the real thing is kind of knowing who to involve their side and when and we had a kind of a slightly more streamlined team our side so I sort of put our agency together as one um so where there were certain responsible tasks we took took responsible for that responsibility for that but um a lot was also responsible on their side so I made sort of a slightly bigger one on their side so I think it does really depend on the project I know that's the classic answer yeah. for everything but so um, yeah you need to sort of tailor it to what suits your project and also I mean the main, the main thing with the race is make sure you are doing it to like provide something useful so your project might not necessarily need one so if you've got a really small lean project with a few team members one client you know it's actually probably quite pointless yeah. to produce one um so it, it's really sort of assessing the need and what you're trying to do with it so is it to make sure because there's a lot of stakeholders either client side or internally you need to manage them and set clear expectations for who's involved um then you know you create one so you've really got to tailor it yeah. towards the project and i think, I think. what the race is greater is for it, it's it helps prevent things falling through the cracks and uh, and people being able to yeah. at the end of the project or at the end of a delivery being produced turning around and say hold on why why wasn't I given a chance to feedback on this or um, yeah, or someone exactly. turning around and saying oh well I thought that um, I thought design were you know annotating the wireframes or you know whatever it whatever it might be but uh, I think yeah in kind of my experience we don't necessarily have to give the client uh, you know, a full view of everything that's going on internally in terms of our process of uh, yeah. who's doing what, who's responsible, who's accountable, um, who else who else is being consulted. That's, that's yeah. usually not necessary and actually can create some confusion. But definitely on the client side, when we think about, okay, how we manage the client through the process, particularly when there's a large team, and yeah. particularly if we know it's a very political organization or we know that they struggle yeah, to make exactly. decisions. Um, defining that one person who's accountable and saying, hey, remember at the start of the project when we said you were going to be this person who was accountable? Is that still the case? Uh, because if it's not the case, um, then we 
probably need to like adjust our process or we need to extend the timeline or probably increase the budget as well if it's gonna if it's gonna get more confusing yeah exactly and that's why it's so important to involve if you are working with clients involve your clients or your internal teams whoever you're assigning responsibility or accountability or consultant to to really get them involved in creating it with you because it's quite um, a piece, again, that you can do in isolation. You just send across to somebody for approval and they might not really think through things. They might just say, yeah, that's fine. You know, let's carry on with the project. Um, but if you're kind of getting them involved in making those decisions at the beginning with you, then you're all aligned and you can sort of progress on the project and you're all clear on who is doing what, I guess. Yeah. So in your kind of experience, when does the racy, when does the racy, stop working when does it fall apart you you've created this documentation at the beginning you've tried to agree everything but when when in your experience do, do things start to unravel what are the kind of watch outs or what are the red flags for people to look for that that uh that this this thing isn't quite right i think probably three of the things i've um touched on um in this already but basically if you don't get agreement from everyone up front. So if you're just creating it in isolation, you assign responsibility to a team member and they don't really know about it or agree to it. Or if you're sort of assuming, making assumptions for the client and sort of saying, well, actually, I think they're accountable. I think they're responsible. And then, okay, now I've created it. So you need to get everyone's buy-in, especially the people who are going to be accountable for things or responsible for things. Um, Also, just it's really key to use it so actually um you know just make sure that you are referencing it throughout the course of your project um you know check things are on track you know check the right people are involved because if you just leave it to sit there you know it's a bit of a waste of time in a sense it's almost just a checkbox you do at the beginning um and then sort of after the project it's really good just to review it and see if it was useful you know if it was right if you were sort of mapping things accurately um, just because that would be useful for future races that you create. Yeah. And so, and yeah, then, sorry, carry on. Sorry, carry on. No, no. Well, yeah, yeah so I, I was going to ask there. So in, in terms of, um, I mean, we, we've talked about how we create it and how we get buy-in. Um, we've talked about when it, when it, you know, can fall apart. But when it does fall apart, because this is the reality of projects, right? We, we think yeah. we define roles and we think we know everyone should know what they're doing. We've even documented it. But then, in, you know, finger pointing starts happening. Things are falling in between the cracks. Um, people are getting upset. I mean, this is a, this is a very broad scenario. <laughs> but, but, you know, what do you, how do you kind of try to tighten things back up when they start getting a bit loose? Um, yeah, talk us through that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite probably quite tempting to use it as a bit of a a tool which you sort of if things are going wrong and people start getting too involved or people that you didn't expect on client side for example getting too involved it might be tempting just to sort of hold that up in front of them go well actually you agreed to this at the beginning but it's not really in a sense meant to be used sort of just as a like oh look what you agreed to you're not following it it's more you know look this is where we all align this is this is where we basically try to create project efficiencies up front and where we try to set expectations and basically some people aren't following this or what they're doing is adding more time and effort to the project so just talking through the implications and with the people who are either derailing it or you know or or involved with the people derailing it so just talking through the implications to the project and 
like why you set this up in the first place, why you agreed to have certain people involved or responsible. Um, it's just important to to make them understand sort of what could happen if it continued down yeah. this road. Yeah, I think helping yeah, helping people, reminding people about the the kind of rationale for why things are how they are uh, or how they were defined at the beginning of the yeah. project is great in helping people kind of get back in their box sometimes. And like, ah, oh, yeah, there's a reason <laughs> that I'm not accountable for this. And that's because I don't actually have the expertise to comment yeah. on it. And also that really leads back to making this a document which is really useful. So having a reason for it, you know, we need to create efficiencies on the project because you have a limited time or a limited budget or, or this. There's a reason for it. So if you don't do the racy document with um, a reason in mind, you know, it's pretty much worthless because you don't really <laughs> you wouldn't have anything to relate back to. So it's just a bit of a waste of time then. So just, yeah, it's really core cool just to make sure that you, can see some clear benefits for doing it and you are creating efficiencies stuff. well if you uh, would like to uh, download a racy template uh, Suze has created one for us as well as as i said a really helpful example uh using lord of the rings uh, to explain how this might uh, <laughs> yeah, how, it, how it might apply to a project <laughs> you know an, an interesting interesting bit of information when we send when we sent out the email saying hey Suze's written this article and uh, what you know, uh, and we've got this example based on Lord of the Rings. Someone emailed back to me and said, "I can't believe that you're like wasting everyone's time with this." <laughs> and um, and uh, and they they wrote back this really snarky email. And then uh, I didn't. I don't think I responded. And I, but I was I was surprised. Um, but uh, and then a day later, they're like, "Oh, um, I did read the article." And uh, it was great. I just don't like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's quite specific. And also when I created that uh, Matrix for Lord of the Rings, I was like, I'm sure I'm <laughs> going to get some of this wrong. You know, doing it in isolation, I'm, I'm like <laughs> doing exactly what I say don't do. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it's good to bring it to life in some yeah, sort it's, of relatable it's hard to do. It was great, I think it, it's, it's hard to, uh, at least... Some people, some people will have an understanding of that project to get to the ring, um, but uh, but yeah, I think it's uh, obviously a bit divisive. But uh, <laughs> I think it, uh, yes, I think it's great. So, Suze, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great having you with us. And Thank if, you. Yeah, so if you'd like to contribute to the conversation, comment on the post or head to the resources section at the digitalprojectmanager.com to join our Slack team where you'll find all kinds of interesting conversations going on. And if you'd like to hear more of Suze, well, uh, head to the training section of the digitalprojectmanager.com and get yourself signed up for the next Mastering Digital Project Management course, uh, where Suze will be featured. Uh, But until next time, thanks for listening.